0: Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Tina Liu, professor of Chinese literature at Yale. Professor Liu's research interests include Chinese fiction and drama during the period between 1550 and 1750. Today, we'll talk with her about her book, Accidental Incest, Filial Cannibalism, and Other Peculiar Encounters in Late Imperial Chinese Literature. Welcome, Professor Liu.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Please tell me about the premise of your book. Well, um, I
1: started by uh, reading through a lot of texts and basically encountering a lot of ways in which writers of the period treated the idea of human community, what ties one individual to any other.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, and the title of your book is fascinating. Um, How did you come to write the book? Was there any particular inspiration? Um, you know
1: the the period of literature that I work on is full of episodes that to a, a, a modern American seem gross, mm-hmm. um, and so one of the things that the book does is tries to situate these gross moments. Um, so I you know I ended up writing a book all about children feeding their parents little bits of their bodies and. Um, people running into relatives when they go to brothels. And only afterwards did I come up with this title, which was something that a friend and I cooked up Mm -hmm. at a coffee
0: house. Okay, Um, share some of the stories from your book. Can you give us a couple of highlights of perhaps the cannibalism or the incest or, or something else that you found particularly interesting? Well, one of the amazing
1: things is that, you know, this idea of filial love the love that we have for our parents is something that um, in late Imperial China, the the ne plus ultra of it was in fact um, uh, a kind of cannibalistic act. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're There are parallels in medieval Europe where there are records of women breastfeeding their parents, for example. Mm -hmm. But in in the Chinese case, it's very, very literal. It's called ge and basically you shave off a bit of your arm or your leg and prepare it in a stew for your parents. And why would you do that? Um, Well, the kind of traditional medical response would be that it was curative, but um, one thing I try to do in looking at a bunch of different examples of this is to think about the symbolic force of it, Mm -hmm. which is essentially, and and I think you see it played out in a lot of different short stories too, where um, uh, the, the purpose is to almost undo the usual generative force of humanity, which is that we give birth to children and they give birth to children, and it's a kind of ever more dilute relationship between Mm -hmm. us and our descendants. And this kind of cannibalism almost tries to undo that spiraling outwards and turns the relationship between parent and child into something that really can't go any further because the parent has eaten up the entire child. Mm -hmm. And in one story that I treat, that's literally what happens. This daughter-in-law sells herself at a marketplace and instead of giving birth to a much-longed-for grandchild, she is consumed and the money that comes out of selling her for meat Um, saves the husband, but essentially the choice is made between one kind of filiality and the usual way in which families change over time, which
0: is that they give rise to new human beings. Mm -hmm. All right, that's a fascinating story that a woman was sold for food. For food?
1: Yes, I mean, the thing is, it's in, in a lot of ways, a lot of the, um, the stories that I treat in mm-hmm. the book are about extreme situations, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of famines extreme. that are so extreme that people have to choose between mm-hmm. um, living or eating someone or okay. selling themselves for meat or um, uh, dynastic crises in which people lose track of their entire families. I'm, you know, I think, I'm not even sure that this kind of extreme cir- circumstance really ever took place or took place to any great degree. It's really a way to meditate on what would happen if, I, you know, I think it serves the same function as science mm-hmm. fiction mm-hmm. in our culture where it's not really as if we think that a lot of these things can take place. It's more that we need to ask questions about human identity, about human relationships. And the way to do it is to find this hypothetical, which is a kind of extreme circumstance. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. That's interesting to me. So, uh, are you, uh, let's talk a little bit about your methodology then. So are you saying that these stories that you've, you've found somewhere, are they true or are they not true or you don't know?
1: They're fictional. They're they fictional. are fictional. They're fictional. Okay. Uh, right. I work on fiction. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, some of them, some records mm-hmm. of Google, for example, of the filial cannibalism, are real. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, I have every reason to believe that they're they're factual. Okay. There are records of, there are some interesting literary type records of um, extreme Google that are, again, I have every reason to believe are real. Mm-hmm. But the things that I'm most interested in are when that kind of real experience is really refracted by imagination.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so in let's talk about, uh, again, how you did the research, how you um, gathered up all of the stories. Um, did you need to travel? Did you find things here at Yale, for instance? What did you do? Well, I knew at Yale, and
1: most okay. of this book was written before I came to Yale. Okay. Um, Also, I have a lot of small children, so Mm -hmm. my research tends to be um, I sit around and read books from the library. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounds like fun, actually. Um, Okay, so in terms of, um, you know, the the time period that you're interested in, 1550 to 1750, what about that time period intrigues you? Oh, I mean, um, I feel... I mean, I, I'm just an early
1: modern kind of person. Mm-hmm. I l- love the way that there's a kind of a gap between popular culture and elite culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, But that it's really interesting that there are people who um, are active in both. Um, I really love going to plays in my real life and I mm-hmm. love the fact that the theater is so important in that age and that people are interested in all sorts of things that go hand-in-hand with being interested in theater. People are interested in disguise Mm -hmm. and dress-up, and and, um, they ask questions about gender that seem really pertinent to me, Um,
0: uh, so, you know, it's just, to me, the really, really interesting period of Mm -hmm. Chinese history. And in um, gathering up the stories um, and assimilating them, what are some of the conclusions you reached in terms of the human connections and community you mentioned earlier? Well, I mean, when I
1: started researching the book, what I was hoping for was basically ways that people at the time conceived of space. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really interested in a world where people don't actually travel very much in that period, and yet enough people in a tiny minority do travel that a lot of people are really interested in the idea of what lies beyond their immediate horizons. Mm -hmm. So I thought there would be all sorts of stuff about spatial understanding. And when I started trying to impose that on the text, I really wasn't finding anything particularly interesting Mm -hmm. down that road. And what I realized was that it's one way to, One way to think about space and the size of the human community is um, the, the the alternative title for the book, which I only came up with after the book was published, was Fancy Meeting You Here. <laughs> <laughs> because that's another way to think about mm-hmm. how many people there are in the world. What are the, you know, how many times have you sat down on the train and you you saw someone and mm-hmm. you sat down and you go, Fancy Meeting You Here, what are the odds? Right. But that moment is really thematized in Chinese literature of this okay. period. People Meditate on what it means that you run into someone, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it is a way of thinking about the population of what it means to be a stranger, mm-hmm. what it means to be a family member. So you know that that's the the how how the book
0: kind of began. Okay, and tell me what um, was one of the most surprising things you found in doing uh, the research for the book. Um. I shouldn't
1: be surprised by this anymore, but mm-hmm. what I found surprising was how um, really deep and careful and methodical a lot of these popular writers were on questions that we usually think of as being anthropological.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I've often said that traditional Chinese philosophy is sufficiently narrow in its concerns. You know, It's basically, it's ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, that a lot of interesting intellectual work is essentially pushed out into other forums, And so Chinese drama and fiction, which traditionally have been read as kind of, you know, low forms, really aren't. Mm -hmm. You know, it's where a lot of people who Don't have any other way to ask certain questions, end up posing those questions.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing some of your work. Oh, thank you for having me. For more information about Professor Liu and her work, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Macmillan Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.